ton of feathers still weigh a ton. So part of what happens with these non-promotable tasks is that they seem small and they keep getting piled on. And before you know it, that's how you're spending a very large share of your workday. While you're feeling like you're doing your job, you're not spending time on the work that you truly were hired to do. Hi, and welcome back to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm Lindsay Kaplan. And I'm Carolyn Childers. And for all our new listeners who are just joining us, Lindsay and I are the co-founders of Chief, the private network of the most powerful women in business. We're so excited to kick off another season of the New Rules of Business, where we explore the nuances of evolving business trends and challenge preconceived notions of what leadership should look like today. And you know, Carolyn, this episode is really the perfect one to start with. Why is that, Lindsay? Because you did this one yourself? Are you using this as the catapult for your solo podcasting career? Okay, I'm no Kara Swisher. I would never leave you. You know, I love doing the podcast and everything else except flying with you. (laughs) But also, I know we can't say yes to everything. And that's what this podcast episode is about. Saying no to non-promotable work that needs to get done, but that doesn't move your career forward. Well, just to be clear, this is something that I don't view as just needs to be done. I love doing the podcast, but sometimes we do have to say no. But I don't want you to feel bad about it. Because as our guest, Dr. Lisa Vesterland explains, the burden of non-promotable work is a big systemic problem. And you guessed it, it's one that disproportionately falls on women. Well, that definitely rings true. From planning the holiday party or grabbing cupcakes for someone's birthday, we know that women are tasked with this work more than men. But look, this falls on women and people of color too. And honestly, it goes way beyond cupcakes and parties. There's so much non-promotable work inside of every company today that is critical for business growth and operations. But these tasks take up a lot of time. It's a real problem. But it's a problem we can solve both for ourselves and for our companies. Well, you know, I love it when you bring me some good solutions, Lynn. So I'm excited for this one and take it away. Dr. Lisa Vesterland is a professor of economics at the University of Pittsburgh and co-author of The No Club, Putting a Stop to Women's Dead-End Work. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the book because it will help raise the awareness that we really need to change this problem. So let's dive right in. In your work, you've explored the interaction of gender and non-promotable tasks in the workplace. So what are some examples of non-promotable tasks? What we characterize as non-promotable tasks are tasks that help out your organization, but it doesn't help out your career. Standard examples could be taking notes at a meeting, serving on an internal committee, mentoring someone, helping them with their work. Onboarding is a common example. So these tasks that you mentioned are actually valuable work for the health of the organization and growth of the business. I think there's a common misconception that non-promotable tasks are just referring to party planning or picking up the cupcakes. So you're absolutely right. I think that the non-promotable work that we tend to talk about the most is sort of what we call office housework. So cleaning up the kitchen, getting people to sign cards for a baby shower, things like that. That only accounts for a tiny fraction of what we characterize as non-promotable work. Many other non-promotable assignments include mentoring, 
helping others with their work conflict resolution, if there's a conflict in the office. It may even include working with that really time-consuming and difficult client. So when we think about promotable work, we really want to think about it in a continuum. If you're doing work that is much less promotable, much less recognized when it comes time for promotion and rewards and salary increases, it will fall in the non-promotable bin. But what we sort of characterize as non-promotable work is work that doesn't contribute directly to the mission of the organization. So if you're working in a for-profit firm, doing work that doesn't bring in revenue directly tends to be non-promotable. Doing work that is invisible, like editing a manuscript, proving somebody else's work tends to be non-promotable. A really important characteristic is doing work that doesn't require your specialized skills. So if you're doing work that everybody can do, it tends to be non-promotable. So think about taking notes at a meeting or summarizing the notes. Anybody can do that. So thinking about these sort of three characteristics really helps us see if the work that you're doing can be characterized as being non-promotable. So much of that work sounds like what a good leader looks like. The mentoring, the listening, taking the time to pay attention to the people in the workplace. There's such a, an interesting wedge to hear that Everything that I think about what model good leadership looks like, there is a price to pay because it is not so closely tied to revenue generating work. You're absolutely right. And that's what's so intriguing that these are indeed characteristics that the organizations see as being valuable. They are also characteristics that female leaders are far more likely to engage in. Part of the reason why we have entitled our book, Putting a Stop to Women's Dead End Work, is really not just that women should start prioritizing more promotable work, but rather that as organizations, we need to put a stop to this work. We need to find ways of prioritizing this work, recognizing the work, so that it either becomes directly promotable, something like onboarding. How could that not be promotable? It's one of the most important things that we do as an organization. And yet, in many organizations, helping out new employees is not a recognized assignment. So part of it is sort of reassessing what should be promotable and also finding ways of redistributing the work that is non-promotable. One of the things that we found in working with a professional services firm is that this work adds up to an extent that we never imagined. In this one particular professional service firm, we found that women were spending 200 more hours per year on non-promotable work than their male colleagues. That's a full month of work that they were doing that didn't get any recognition. So while we may pay attention to bringing in the cupcakes, we need to start paying attention to all the other non-promotable work so that we give our female and male employees similar opportunities to demonstrate their skills. So why do you think we've gotten to this place where women aren't comfortable using the word no? Well, so what we can see is that everybody is expecting a yes from women. So we've done a, a number of studies where we sort of try to look at what happens if we're in a group setting where somebody has to take on an assignment that nobody wants to take on. In that setting, we can see that women volunteer about 50% more than their male colleagues. Similarly, we can see that if we have a manager who's going to ask someone to take on an assignment that everybody would prefer somebody else will do, that they ask women 44% more than they ask men. Indeed, when they ask women, they are 50% more likely to say yes. So part of what we show in our study is that both that we have this evil circle where we all ask women more and expect them to say yes, but also that women aren't saying yes 
because they love taking on this work that nobody else wants or because they're particularly good at it. Rather, we all have these ingrained expectations that women are going to do this work, which means both that women will have internalized those expectations so they feel very guilty when they think about saying no. That's the number one comment that women give us when we ask them how they think about saying no, so they feel tremendous guilt. Another reason why they say yes is because they are likely to experience backlash if they say no. So they have sort of a much tighter culture around what they are allowed to do. Unfortunately, it means that they end up taking a lot more of this non-promotable work in the workplace. So I want to talk about your book, which has one of the best titles I have ever heard. It's called The No Club. Would love to hear about the book and how you became involved with The No Club itself. So about 12 years ago, I joined what we called The No Club together with four other women. We were all rather accomplished women, but we were finding ourselves in very similar situations Namely, we were working really, really hard. We're really struggling to keep up, basically playing whack-a-mole all day long, trying to clean off our to-do list, and the to-do list never seemed to get any smaller. So we began to meet once a month in, I wouldn't call it a dive bar, but it had $10 bottles of wine, so it is drinkable <laughs> wine. Very important. Yeah, no, exactly. We would meet and sort of try to be very strategic in thinking about the work that we were taking on. So really discussing what did you take on in the last month? What are the things that you need to get rid of in order to get more of what we called work work balance? So to get a better balance between the promotable work. So the No Club started with these monthly meetings. And for years, we would just meet and really try to get better at saying no, try to get better at being strategic in, in how we said yes, so we didn't just keep taking on more work. As we were doing that, people started getting interested in joining, including several of our male colleagues who wanted to join the No Club. Once they began to ask, it was hard not to put on our research hats and say, well, is this just a problem for women? Men seem very busy as well. That's when we started this whole research agenda to really understand, are women doing more non-promotable work? Indeed, every single study that has been done by us or someone else shows that women everywhere, independent of occupation, are doing more non-promotable work. And then understanding why, is it just because they like it or because they're good at it? And the answer to that is no, they're doing it because we all hold these collective expectations. And the reason why we wrote the book was that if women are spending their day at work very differently from their male colleagues, then it contributes to their gender wage gap. It contributes to differences in advancement. It contributes to burnout. It contributes to women's inability to negotiate. So we really wanted to spread the word because we see these differences in work assignments as being a critical contributor to the gender differences that we're seeing in the labor market. What was the most interesting stat or anecdote that you and your co-authors uncovered in your research? I was truly surprised once we really started counting up the hours and found that it amounted to 200 more hours. I did not expect it to be that much. It was surprising to me that it shows up in every occupation. But I think the key stat really was that this is coming from expectations. We talk about how men and women are different in so many ways. I thought it could be because women were more concerned about the groups, that they were more conforming, that somehow all these other attributes, maybe they were more risk averse and worried about the work not getting done. 
what we're seeing clearly is that expectations are a very central contributor to this. I didn't expect that. We very clearly identified expectations as driving this, which is such a key part to the entire research agenda because it shows that organizations are making mistakes when they ask women to do all this work. Because no organization wants to give the work to the employee who's least reluctant to take on the work. They want to give it to the employee who's best at doing the work. And showing that it's expectations really should cause all of us to pause. No organization wants to give 200 more hours to employees of a particular gender. Similarly, what we're also showing is that a lot of the work go to employees of color. No organization wants to do that, certainly not in the magnitude that we're seeing in the data. It's so insidiously tied to the way that we treat cis white men in the workplace. It's really astounding to hear that number. That blows me away. I know the book has gotten so much well-deserved praise, but I find it even more impressive that it's led people to start up their own no-clubs. Why do you think people are gravitating to this format so much? The no-clubs I know of are, are already well underway. They're popping up everywhere. Where the club was most influential for me was really to think about every time that I say yes to something, there's an implicit no. The club held me accountable for that implicit no to really think, where are you going to get those extra eight hours? In my case, it was always coming from my family. While I felt guilty about saying no to someone who needed my help, once it became clear that I was taking that time away from my family, suddenly I didn't feel guilty anymore. Once I started seeing an image of my kids right next to the requester's face, it became much easier to say, no, I cannot read your paper over the weekend. I'm spending the weekend with my family. So the club was instrumental in identifying the triggers that all of us had for constantly saying yes to things that we shouldn't have. I certainly had the tendency to just say, oh, let's just get it over with. It can't take that long. But every single time I was wrong in my assessment of how long it would take. Things take longer and then the tasks pile up, right? Exactly. Exactly. One of the statements we have in the book is a ton of feathers still weigh a ton. So part of what happens with these non-promotable tasks is that they seem small and they keep getting piled on. And before you know it, that's how you're spending a very large share of your workday. And while you're feeling like you're doing your job, you're not spending time on the work that you truly were hired to do. So while it may feel selfish to go in and say, I need help, I'm spending too much time on all this work that really doesn't contribute to the organization or directly contribute to the organization, any supervisor should be excited to have an employee who says, how can I contribute more? I've talked to my team so much about what are we saying no to as a department? How do we start cutting out tasks that maybe don't drive as much impact on the business as others? So I think it's great advice at an individual level, but also as a company. So I think saying no is one of my favorite words. I'd love to hear from you, though. How does one say no? I have the privilege of being co-founder of Chief, and so it's, it's a lot easier for me to, to drop that word in meetings. What are some strategies that others can take to really evaluate and say no to these non-promotable tasks? Well, so just to touch on a very important point that you first mentioned, at the end of the day, this has to be up to the organization. It has to be up to the organizations to change how they allocate and reward work. Now, not all organizations are going to change immediately. So you're absolutely right for the individual woman and man. 
it helps to think about how you effectively say no. So when you get a request, the first step should be to pause. You shouldn't just say yes right away. You should try to pause and assess what is really involved in the task. How long is it going to take? How is it going to impact all of your other work? Is it going to be something that you have to get done quickly so that you can't focus on the more strategic pieces? Once you've assessed the task, then figuring out if this is something you can say no to it or if you have to say yes. If you can say no, an effective way of saying no is to give a quick explanation and then help the requester solve the problem. So say, I can't work on the holiday party because I'm working on the product launch, but why don't you ask Sam? He's new to the organization. It would be a good way for him to get to know everyone. So really remembering that the requester often just wants to solve the problem. And while an assignment may be non-promotable for you, it could very well be promotable for someone else. So an effective no is one that explains it and solves the requester's problem. Now, if you can't say no, you can negotiate your yes. If you've thought carefully about the assignments that you have on your plate, there will be things that you want to get rid of. So if they ask you to take on the holiday party and you don't have an option, you might want to say, take me off another internal committee, or you might say, the holiday party is a really big assignment. How about if we split it in three? I will be in charge of budget. Somebody else will do the rest of it. Or you say, I will do the holiday party this time, but then Ben and Sam will do it the two following years. So you make sure that you get off of the committee because oftentimes what happens, if you take on an assignment and do a good job, they will keep coming at you. Ugh. That's the worst. Yes. That's the way I do it. You give me some work. If I don't want to do it, I'll get a C minus. Nobody will ever ask me to do it again. <laughs> Is that the best way forward? Probably not. No, no. That's exactly <laughs> why we have to change the way that we handle this work in organizations, because that's the incentive that we have right now. I think a lot of us are in organizations where we've seen a strategic display of incompetence, employees who otherwise can do lots of challenging assignments, suddenly can't figure out how to take meeting notes. So if we don't address how we allocate this work, we create this incentive for people to shirk, which is certainly not in the interest of the organization. That's great advice. From a leadership perspective, what are some of the warning signs that this is a problem in your organization? How do you make sure there's an equitable distribution of non-promotable work so that you can ensure that your company is headed on the right path? So just having a brainstorming session where you just say, what are the non-promotable tasks? Then once we have those, let's just have a rough assessment of who's doing what. So suppose that it's a question of committee assignments. Let's count up how many people are in two committees, how many are in three, how many are in one, how many are in zero. Lori Weingart, who's a co-author of the book, was the associate dean of the business school at Carnegie Mellon. And that's what they did. They just counted up. Lo and behold, there are many more men who were on no committees and many more women who were on three or more committees. I, I am shocked by this. Just take the lowest hanging assignment and say, what is the assignment that nobody's eager to take on? Who is it who's doing that? Let's look at the five least desirable assignment. Who is doing it? Let's assess if we have a gender imbalance there. And once you have a gender imbalance thinking about simple tricks to improving this. It's foolish to ask for a volunteer 
if we know that women are more likely to end up taking on the work because they have much more pressure to take it on. Let's just put names in a hat. That's what we now do at the University of Pittsburgh. It sounds silly to be doing this, but it avoids that crazy game we play where everybody sits around and waits and checks their watches. We're wasting a lot of time in figuring out how to allocate it. So let's be more strategic about that work. And let's, in that process, assess whether or not something really should be promotable Is it something that we accidentally aren't rewarding that really could and should be rewarded? And also get rid of a lot of the junk work that somehow ends up just sitting in organizations without getting weeded out. So at a minimum, when employees first join an organization, they should have equal time on promotable and non-promotable work. Once we identify the true talent, it's fine if they don't spend the same amount of time on non-promotable work. But at the end of the day, everybody has to do some. It's just that work should not be distributed based on gender or race. It should be distributed based on skill. I love that. So let's make sure we get rid of everything that doesn't need to be there, clear off any of the leftover fat, create a chore wheel of sorts to make sure that we're not waiting on volunteers, but we're really breaking that to make sure that everybody has a chance at buying the birthday cupcakes. Well, this show is called The New Rules of Business. So if you could write a new rule for business that would solve the problem of non-promotable work once and for all, what would that be? I think the first rule of business should be that we distribute to managers a document that talks about the mistakes that we make when we distribute non-promotable work. So when a new supervisor comes in, once you step into that leadership track, Make sure that they have information that says you are going to be distributing all this work and you play a key role in securing that the employees under you have equal opportunities to demonstrate their skills. So be aware of these expectations that you take into the job and try to come up with procedures that prevent you from falling into this trap on giving into the expectations. I love that. And finally, we always like to ask, what's the best piece of leadership advice or the worst piece of leadership (laughs) advice you've ever received? We have this tendency to just look at who's doing a good job on an assignment without thinking about the opportunity cost that comes with them doing the assignment. So I might put Lindsay on a project because she'll do a great job, but not think about the terrific job that she would do on an even more challenging assignment. So really, I think the best advice is to think about the comparative advantages of our employees. So steering away from this, just saying, oh, but she's so good at it. That's why I keep asking her. Maybe she would be really, really good at a far more challenging and important task. Keep that opportunity open. I'm off to forge my own no club. (laughs) Best of luck. Let us know if we can help. (laughs) Don't help. That is non-promotable work. I've got this. On the noclub.com, we have guidance on how to start your own no club. Once you have your own no club, send us a picture and we'll post it right there along with everybody else. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure to be here. That was Lisa Vesterlund, professor of economics at the University of Pittsburgh and co-author of The No Club. All right, so what do you think, Carolyn? Will you join my No Club? Maybe, Linz. I will join any club you ask me to, but just don't ask me to be your note taker, scheduler, or cupcake buyer. I think we would both be the people to like (laughs) last minute grab the stale cupcakes from the grocery store. (laughs) 
It's funny because it's true. But seriously, though, what really stood out for me is that while there are tactical steps that you can take to handle this problem better for yourself, it is even more important for us as leaders to take a more strategic, big picture perspective of it. We really need to think through all the work that isn't promotable and find more equitable ways to distribute it. We need to take a step back and look at our own biases at what we deem to be valuable or promotable, because there could be whole jobs in the organization that are non-promotable due to not being revenue driving or tied to a core service. Exactly. Leaders really need to be thinking more holistically about what and who is driving all facets of the business to make sure nobody is stuck doing dead-end, underappreciated work. It's also important for leaders to realize that a task that might be non-promotable for one person might actually be a great growth opportunity for someone else. And of course, you need to figure out which non-promotable tasks just aren't worth doing at all. Those are calls that every leader needs to get comfortable making every single day. Because as Lisa said, the non-promotable work will just keep piling up. Piling up to 200 hours a year for a single person. That's That really blew my mind. And if our listeners want to learn more, I would definitely recommend checking out Lisa's book, The No Club. It's full of great stats, amazing stories, and really applicable ideas for solving this problem. Because it's not just about saying no. Although I do love saying no. Yeah, no shit you do. Yeah, I do. (laughs) No, you were supposed to say no. (laughs) But I don't think this is Um, the no she was actually talking about. But anyway, you want to close this out? You're so good at it. No, I said no. (laughs) I am an official member now of my own no club. All right, well, why don't we tackle it together then? Like the cupcakes? Okay, (laughs) let's divide and conquer. So don't miss out on all of our chief content. You can get more podcast episodes by following the show on your favorite podcast app. And if you're more of a social media person, find Chief and join the conversation with us on LinkedIn. But if you're ready to up the ante and you're thinking about becoming a member of the Chief Network, head to our website, chief.com, where you can apply. As a member, you will be connected to the most powerful network of executive women across the U.S. And now the U.K. We're going across the pond. (laughs) Thanks, Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Mercy Harper, Blaine Edens at Chief, and to our production team, Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Danielle Roth, Madison Lusby, Hannah Pedersen, and Michael Aquino. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm... Lindsay Kaplan. Thanks for listening. Did you forget who you were for a second? (laughs) No, I did not. (laughs) 